podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome. I'm Les Bubka and you're listening to Accidental Podcast or something like that. I hope you are well. And today I'll be talking to Charles Lampshire, a karateka social worker who went through um, quite <clears throat> distressing events in his work. Uh, eventually he had to uh, give up that work. Uh, went through the spell of de- depression and closed down his club. Um, managed to recover from it uh, with use of the Wim Hof method. And we're going to be talking about it. He's going to share his secrets and uh, of recovery. He's going to be talking about what made him uh, be uh, negative towards the society um, <clears throat> and put the bit of a um, perspective on dealing with um, social work and how uh, negatively impacted impact can it bring uh, it was a great great chat with him I really like Charlie uh, and he's uh, well spoken not like me so probably it's gonna be more pleasurable for you to see listen to him than me but I hope you're gonna enjoy it if you like <clears throat> this episode um, you could do a good uh, big favor and share with your friends and more people can listen uh, be uh, excellent for me uh, to promote the podcast um, if you don't like it as, as usual share with your enemies so <clears throat> they can suffer through it if they want to um, uh, let's crack on with it enjoy Charlie, uh, I think we met a few years ago in Matt Jardine's um, seminar with Chris Wilder. Um, that was yes, quite a few years ago. Um, that was quite a while ago, wasn't it, Les? Yeah, it was. Uh, um, yeah. We stayed connected through the social media, and it was just before you started opening your um, martial art class club. Um, yes. Yeah, that was. Um... Oh, good, a good few years ago now, wasn't it? When I was um, I was running Team Black Belt in Oxford, I believe. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And then you suddenly disappeared, and now, yeah. and now you're back. Um, could you tell us some um, uh, your bio and background in martial arts for those who don't know you? Sure, sure, yeah. For those that don't know me, um, hello, I'm Charlie. Um, I started with Wadaroo around the age of eight years old. It was um picked as most clubs tend to be picked because it was the closest club to like, to my house uh, my parents uh, sort of knew the instructor there and signed me up um i joined up with a good friend of mine and you know we had a great time but um he quit after you know, six months and i realized that it was the kind of thing i wanted to carry on doing so i stuck at it um so i was eight years old at the time um i did it about three times a week i believe um for most of my life I took a bit of a bit of a break. I think I was around about twelve. I took a couple of years out because you know, sort of let your kids. You've got different interests, you know. Sort of school comes in, different things, different friends. You know, suddenly karate's not cool anymore. Mm. Um, and then about fourteen or fifteen, I met um, an instructor, uh, Andy Major, who ran the TSV Do Club out in Epping, which was only a couple of miles up the road from me. And I decided that was the time you know, sort of to rejoin. And so I trained with Andy um, a couple of days a week. That soon became uh, about three times a week and then made a real good group of friends there. We started training outside of that as well. I think I trained with Andy for about 10, 10 years, maybe. Um, made it to second down black belt with, uh, with um, Tiashi Do Club. Um, Again, it was a Wadaroo association, so, you know, mm-hmm. uh, works really nicely for me. Um, then started to branch out. 
and started to get some different ideas about what I wanted to achieve and, and started looking more at the practical side of things. Um, like most of us, um, I think my first introduction to practical karate was, was through the works of Ian Abernethy. Mm. So I started attending um, and following um, some of Ian Abernethy's seminars where I you know, started to have my eyes opened and realized, okay, this is, this is the kind of karate that I want to do. This is the kind of stuff that speaks to me. Um, at the same time, I made good friends with a Wing Chun instructor and me and him started practicing Wing Chun several times a week. Mm. Uh, which was rather good fun um, and I then took the, uh, the attitude of always say yes I was going through a bit of a weird time in my life and I um, decided that if you say yes to things good things happen so what I started to do was I, was anytime I met another instructor or another martial artist who said hey you know why don't you come down try our style yeah okay great you know why don't you come down and you know sort of try uh, like some Crab McGar. Yeah, great. Why not? Why don't you come down and try some, you know, some kickboxing? Yeah, great. And I started to cross train and just experience different things. Um, I became heavily involved with, uh, with Crab McGar. I did that for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, got an instructor's uh, certification with that as well. And then started to realize, mm, you know, I don't really like <laughs> the philosophies behind Crab. And it's like, it's a combat thing. It's obviously a military thing. And gel well with what I with my idea of civilian self-defense and I thought well half of what we're doing in here anyway is what I do in my karate mm. it's in my kata it's in it's in all the stuff we teach it's in all the stuff we train so I kind of dropped that and, and since then I've moved I've moved house several times to different areas um moved to Oxford um got married had kids changed careers a couple of times I've now moved to Hertfordshire and as a result of that, I'm kind of uh, <laughs> a student without an, an instructor. I just kind of train my way. I train, you know, sort of the karate that speaks to me. I can't hardly call it Wado anymore. It's it's not Shotokan. It's, you know, not as simple as that. Um, it's just the way that I do things. And now, you know, I, I train with everybody. I cross train in everything. And um, I spend most of my time focusing really on practical karate mm. with the goal of once all of this COVID stuff blows over, settling down and opening up a club of my own. Mm. Cool. That's because your club, your club was quite successful, wasn't it? You started with children and... Um... Yeah, well, I focused on children. I mean, yeah, I had a really great opportunity to come up where um, I became good friends with Mike Turbitt, who runs Team Black Belt. And um, he was quite keen on branching out and, and trying to kind of franchise and basically move a, an incredibly successful and very, very awesome club. He wanted mm. to you know, branch it out and you know, go a little bit further. So I wanted to start a club. He kind of, you know, sort of saw an opportunity and said, hey, you know, why don't you sort of, uh, sort of teach under my banner, uh, teach the way that I teach, and we'll see about branching Team Black Belt from, you know, from Solihull down to... Um, down to Oxford, so that's what I did, and it, it was rather successful. You know, we uh, we really enjoyed it. I focused on teaching children because at the time, I was working as a school sports coach um, in primary schools, so I was doing like you know Monday to Friday, five days a week teaching children. It just it it seemed like a natural fit, mm -hmm. and um, Mike's way of teaching really gelled with mine. So he taught me he he taught me a lot, and um, however. It's one of those things where I think all instructors reach that point where they kind of have made that decision. Do I go full time and devote my entire life and the way and all my earnings to martial arts? Or do I look for something a bit more stable? Mm. Around that time is when my two children were born. Um, I had uh, twin boys come along and prices were going up. Our rent was going up and you know, students were coming, students were going, and I, I panicked. And I basically said, you know what I need? I need is a stable, secure salary that's going to mm. help me be a, a, a better father and a better husband and, you know, provide for my children. And I don't think that martial arts right now is the way of doing that for me. You know, while my children are young, I need to build a career and then come back into martial arts. So I shut the school down, moved to a career working in, um, in um, social work, and uh, civil service, that kind of thing. Um, nice steady uh, sort of government paycheck. 
Mm. Um, yeah, and that's been the kind of end of my martial arts teaching career at the moment. I'm, just, I'm waiting to get back in. Yeah, I really like Mike, Mike Terbit um, stuff. I only recently kind of, um, how you say it, inquired, not inquired, but I am um, acquaintance. That's the one, acquaintance. I'm acquainted. Yeah. Um, so I read his book a couple of years ago, The, the Black Belt. Um, what's the title of it? Um, black Belt Business. I've had to run a Black Belt Business. Yeah, yeah. Very good book. Um, and I listened to his podcast uh, from Ian. Mm with lots of good ideas and as i'm planning to um, do more chil children um, teaching when my children goes to school so i think i'm going to be chasing him as well for ideas and and concepts because i haven't been teaching children for 15 years now oh, so really I, why is that now is that yeah. a, a conscious decision not to teach children or just well, when, when i've closed down my schools in poland and moved to uk um i decided that you know with my current work um it was not something which I wanted to endure. Mm. <laughs> Plus, as well with the UK laws, and I'm using a lot of grappling. I just wanted to stay clear from the uh, from the possible accusation. I was a bit scared of it, but now I can. When I learn more about the rules and stuff, it's it's, yeah. it's not a problem. But for me, with the jobs, it was completely opposite. So I went to martial arts for stability for my children. Oh, really? So um, because I used to work as a foreman for. Um, marquee company so you mm -hmm. literally never knew how long and when you're going to work so we decided with uh, with anna by the way you've got a regards from her she's sending best wishes oh thank you um uh, <laughs> hi and um she she's got a really good job in uh, engineering mm. kind of realms and we decided well why don't you go and do the personal training stuff you can work a couple of hours a week and take care of children be better than than spending all your wages on the nursery fantastic so yeah that, that's what we do and that's what i enjoy and but you know when they're going to go to school i'm going to yeah. have a few hours through the day which i can fill up with uh, with classes i'm a borderline on between the teaching elderly in yeah. uh, care homes and children i think elderly are a bit easier yeah, I must say, you know, sort of the uh, the work that you're doing uh, teaching elderly, you know, that's fantastic, and I've been following that very closely. I think that's mm. absolutely awesome. It's a it's a niche market there, and one that yeah. you're doing really sort of really well in. And I I kind of been um, fortunate just before COVID, I had a meeting with like, yeah, uh, how do you call it with the with the billionaires, the guys who are really, um, oh yeah, rich and successful in business. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a, like. Um, community service here when they've been sat down and they've been kind of getting people and assessing their business plans and stuff like that okay uh, and they said that uh, my idea is sound i just need to be less shy in advertising it because i hate doing that stuff you know that's a, that's actually quite a common problem i tend to find especially amongst martial artists you know maybe it's just a it's maybe just a just you have to have a certain mentality i find to be able to mm. go out there and promote yourself and I, and I know it's something that I find quite difficult, you know, and a lot of people do. So, yeah, you've got to overcome that. It's got to get out there. And if you're doing something great, if you're doing something worthwhile, you've got to shout about it from the rooftops. Mm. You've got to let everybody know because, you know, you've yeah. got something amazing there. So, yeah, thank you. I, I did the, the change. Um, so I went for um, um, hypnotherapy, hypnotherapy. Oh, yes. Uh, one of my students is a certified um Mm -hmm. clinical and that made a huge change that's why you see so much shit from me on uh, uh, instagram <laughs> and stuff <laughs> promoting what? promoting promoting so he actually used hypnotherapy with you to, to yeah, get yeah, to... yeah well how did that work what just to change your outlook on 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 things or uh, it's very difficult to describe it first thing it wasn't what i expected mm. it was kind of very surreal uh, surreal because um he said to me you know relax yeah. and go to your happy place. So first for me, dojo. But then when he started getting me in a trance, I end up being underwater, surrounded by um, like a seaweed. Wow. Uh, um, kind of smudging my face and being very relaxed. Mm. And after that, for first three weeks, I felt like a million dollars. No anxiety, nothing. Now it's kind of creeping in, but he said it's going to be like that. So you have to keep constantly thinking and he gave yeah. me like a like a thought processes. So when you start being anxious, you start thinking, you know, 
power posing and and uh, breathing and reinforcing that and setting up goals and it really changed um i'm not so mm. shy about stuff now you know and i realized that you know somebody was saying that uh, i can't remember their exact words but you know if you've got a good service you're making this service to people not telling them about it if you can help people and you don't tell anybody you're actually harming them that's a very very good way of looking at it yeah you know you yeah. you if you have something that can help people then you have a responsibility to find a way to get it to them don't you and that's making it much easier to advertise wow it's interesting though what you say about you know the hypnotherapy essentially just kind of changing your your thought process and you know sort of your mm. outlook and um that um that's quite interesting you know it's it's it always amazes me how we are capable of of changing our entire personality based upon how you know just our outlook and you know just what we think i mean it's about the age of 19 i know i made a huge change in who i am and that came about because i just kind of of a mindset shift Mm-hmm. and um that uh, that kind of almost i created a second personality with this mindset this mindset shift which which i overcame quite a few things and you know since then i've not really switched it off i've just mm-hmm. i've kind of gone i like the second personality better i'm sticking with him mm-hmm. so yeah so, so same for me same for me i suppose mm-hmm. there's going to be a few more you know ch- children changing your perspective as well hugely as you know oh absolutely you know, everything goes on the back burner and you focus <laughs> on that so it, but it's such a cliche to say, isn't it? That, you know, when children come along, everything changes, you know, everyone tells you that, you know, before you have kids, everyone tells you, Oh, yep, your life will change. Your viewpoint will change, you know? And as a young man, I'm kind of sitting back and kind of going, yeah, yeah, of course it will granddad. <laughs> of course it will. And then as soon as it comes along, you know, that very day, it's almost like someone flicks a little switch in your head and you just mm-hmm. kind of go, Oh, I'm a parent now. I'm a dad. I've got to do, I've got responsibilities. I'm responsible for these lives and, I've got to do something, you know, I've got to change. And you do, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, and it's funny that uh, you, you've got that urge to tell other people that your life's going to change after you don't know. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, I, I found myself becoming that, that person when uh, one of my wife's friends uh, was, uh, was pregnant. And uh, I'm standing in the kitchen chatting to a couple of the, uh, couple of the men in the, in the house and I'm chatting to the father to be and and I found myself becoming that person saying to him, Oh yeah, just you wait. You know, so you say this now, it'll all change. And in my head, in the back of my head, I've got my wife's voice going, You prat, you've become that guy, haven't you? Yeah, it's it's funny how it is. I was always been like, Oh, don't tell me about your children, I'm tired of it. And then a few months later you've got your own and you just can't stop telling, Oh look, my little Max done this, he's so brilliant, he's the oh, best yeah. child ever. <laughs> Mine is the best. I know yours is good, but mine is the best. Yeah. Oh, totally, totally. You know, sort of look at so look at these photos. You know, five thousand that's taken up my iCloud account. You know, you probably have, you probably have different because you've got twins, so you've got mm. equal pictures. But we found out that with the first one, we took millions of pictures, and the second, like, why are you doing the same thing? I'm not bothered anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my um. Yeah, yeah. I both my sister-in-laws have got three kids, and um, um, I, and and the standard line tends to be, you know, here's the first. Let's have all the love and attention, focus, fantastic. Here's the second, brilliant. You know, great. Um, where's the third? Where you know? Oh, he's over there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just joking. But yeah, yeah. Um, but, I do agree with you there. <laughs> going back to martial arts, mm. you as well done uh, extensive um, Kori Uchinadi, didn't you? How did you go? Uh, yes, yeah, I've been um, about, I, I did about five years of um, Korea Chinadi, and I'm still doing that to this day. I'm still practicing from home the best I can. Obviously, you know, it's, it's very hard without a body to roll around with, but, you know, but, we've, but we find ways. Um, that came about, I met Mark O'Connell at um, the very first bu- um, Bunkai Bash, Andy Kidd's mm-hmm. very first Bunkai Bash. Um, and Mark O'Connor was teaching these fantastic flow drills and these really interesting movements that I could see it was karate, but it looked slightly alien in the way that he moved. And, you know, he was so relaxed and, you know, loose and everything was coming from the hips and he generating power without, you know, the, about using the kind of traditional stances that we're used to seeing. And, I remember he did uh, one of the uh, one of the basic um, KU drills, 
the two-person flow drills. And um, it involves a, a downwards Gedambarai sort of, you know, sort of a block onto an arm, you know, sort of to use it to drop the person's weight. And um, as you parry a sort of a sort of shot over, you end up whipping back in the opposite direction with your fingers. Mm-hmm. And you almost rake the fingers across the now exposed ribs of your attacker. And I remember, you know, practicing that with him and kind of walking away thinking, Jesus Christ, my chest looks like I've been attacked by Wolverine. <laughs> These claw marks across my chest. And I just thought, I've got to get me some of that. That's awesome. And so we got chatting, Mark and I, and, and he invited me to come down to his club. Um, turns out that I was in the process of moving to a little village just north of Oxford. And he said, well, I've run a club just a few miles up the road from there. You know, why don't you come by? So once we moved in, you know, I, um, I reached out to him again and he invited me down and I didn't look back. I loved it. Absolutely fell in love with it. And it was just such a great system. Hmm. So um, I've been doing that uh, ever since. And I, li- I like that flow they've got, um, like hmm. you said, um, it's kind of more for me, a rest- restless moves. So the spine is relaxed and you, you're using that flexible power instead of being having a stick in your spine and well it brings in a lot from wrestling as well there's a lot of wrestling in there because you know sort of patrick mccarthy's um, system it's Mm. it works at all ranges and you've got the uh, so you've got the striking drills in there you've got the joint locks you've got the throws you've got your um, your takedowns you've got your groundwork and a lot of it is wrestling you know a lot of it comes back from you know sort of of siamese wrestling there's greco-roman wrestling it's all in there Mm. and um, it's kind of the wrestling is kind of primal thing. You look at children; they always do it for wrestling, isn't it? It's not many children punching, isn't it? Let's. I've got got uh, twin boys. They're four years old. I lay the mats out and I just let them play. And I say mm. to them, right, you know, boys, right, just go play. And it's amazing. I'm seeing wrestling. I'm seeing takedowns. Like they don't know that they're doing it. They don't know that they're wrestling. You know, so they're not you know putting arm bars on each other or double leg takedowns. They're just playing. Mm. I haven't taught them this. It's amazing how these movements are completely natural and completely innate, you know, to the way that we, the way that we think. Hmm. And you watch children play, and it, it's all in there. So yeah, hmm. wrestling is it's all in there, man. And it's and it's very safe. I hmm. I never seen any serious injuries um, in children in wrestling training. Not yeah. in children, no, no, no. But hit thirty five, and oh man, they come out. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah Disloca- dislocation, break, 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 dislocation. <laughs> I'm finding more doing this all dangerous moves like get up quickly from a bed and you pull your spine out and Oh god, Les, Les, I put I put my back out last year with a sneeze. <laughs> I, I never thought I'd be able to do that. I put, I honestly I, I sneezed too hard and my back went. I <laughs> that's that's when I know I'm getting old. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> you you disappeared because you start working as a social worker, um, yeah. helping society. And my yeah. related question to do that, to that because um, we talked before about the, that eventually that job started to destroy you mentally, and you kind yeah. of um, went away from it. So in a big of, way. If you could uh, share stuff, would you comfortable with sharing? Sure. Yeah. And and then uh, maybe. Say, relate that to uh, martial arts and mental health resilience because I believe that the, the martial arts helped you quite a lot. Massively, yes, thank you. Um, yeah, I like the way that you say that I disappeared because um, essentially I did. I just, you know, I decided to focus entirely on the new career and I basically burnt my social media to the ground. I got rid of everything, I cut all ties and decided to focus 100% on what I was doing. And a large part of the social work that I was doing involved um, dealing with people in various levels of mental mental distress. Mm-hmm. I found that most of the most of the care that I was I was trying to provide was for people that were going through extreme mental trauma, who did not want the help, who couldn't recognize the fact that somebody there was trying to help them, um, and a lot of that put a lot of stress on me and at the time i was obviously trying to balance doing these really awkward shifts working really long hours or lots of overtime in essentially what became an incredibly negative environment mm. i was dealing with people that needed help but they didn't want it and they 
it, I found it to be incredibly frustrating that you go in with this positive mindset that you want to help people. And what you're faced with is extreme levels of violence, extreme hostility and aggression. I mean, this is stuff, you know, that, you know, going in and, you know, like you're aware of it and you know, people will tell you this and you get all the training in the world, uh, some fantastic levels of training uh, uh, to prepare for this, but it's weird. I, I found that my mentality, my, the way that I thought didn't gel with what I was being asked to do. I was trying to help people and I found myself getting so emotionally involved mm -hmm. that there were several, several things that I couldn't help with. And that really got to me. I remember one in which um, I attended with a couple of police officers out to an emergency situation. And this guy was going through a mental trauma. I mean, obviously I'll avoid, you know, Lots of details, a name, specifics, anything like that. He was going through a severe mental trauma and was now speeding off in a car, having got teary phone calls from his son saying he's suicidal. He's planning on killing himself. Um, we had managed to track down where he was, and I'm in this car speeding along with this uh, this senior police officer, and we managed to overhear over the radio. Uh, we've got him. We've got him. We're deploying Stinger. And then next thing I know, we come turning around the corner and we come face to face with his car. And suddenly I hear someone scream, he's got a knife, he's got a knife. And this fella in, right in front of me pulls out this large kitchen knife and slashes his wrists wide open. Blood just starts gushing down all over him and the floor. I am, without thinking, I'm running at him. I've got some gloves, I'm running at him and I just grab him. Two officers tackle him. I jump on top of the guy and I clamp my hands around his wrists, holding on as tightly as I can. He's fighting me and he's screaming at me and he's screaming over and over. Let me die. Let me die. I want to die. Please, please let me die. And I'm holding onto his wrists and I'm, I'm basically using my knee to, to pin his jaw down to the floor so that he's, he's not trying to, you know, wriggle out of this. And he's screaming, I want to die. Let me die. Why won't he? And, you know, I handled it. Officers came over, paramedics came over, you know, they bandaged him up in the back of an ambulance and off, and off he went. The whole way I could hear him screaming as he's being piled into this ambulance. And at the time I was quite shaken by it, but I didn't realize how much. And um, got back, back to the office and I sat down there and a colleague of mine said, you're right, you're pale white. I was like, yeah, I think I'm okay. That night I couldn't sleep. Yeah, just all, all I could see in my mind was this guy screaming over and over, let me die. I need, I need to die. And looking down and just seeing my hands covered in his blood. Um, and, you know, so that, that really started to play, play on my mind. And, um, you know, but you do as you do. And, you know, so you think, no, I'm tough. I can take this, you know, sort of, I'm resilient, you know, brush this off. Let's, let, um, let's go in and, you know, let's, let's try and help somebody else. But I found more and more, I found myself, you know, trying to talk people down from jumping. I found myself pulling people out of the way of busy roads um, where they were trying to jump in front of cars. I found myself going to several, which unfortunately we couldn't help. And this one gentleman died on the scene when I was there. You know, um, my my colleague was trying to give him um, CPR and. Uh, I felt completely helpless. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything other than stand there and try and calm the family down. And uh, he died, unfortunately, there. And just, it, it got, it really started to play on my mind. And the one that really got me was a guy that we were aware of. He was, he, he was suffering with terminal illness and um, he was in a bad way and he refused help. He kept refusing assistance we would go out to see him, you know, he wouldn't have any of it. And um, he was turning his family away. He was turning his, his uh, neighbors away. What it turned out he was he was an ex police officer who knew that he was dying and his coping mechanism was to shut everybody down, to mm. shut everybody out. And he basically sold off all of his furniture, sold everything off, locked himself in his flat we go out to see him it's been a couple of weeks since anybody's heard from him 
he's not returned any calls, but that's kind of par for the course. And we turn up and the first thing we made to walk into this block of flats, the smell, smell hit you. And this police officer looked at me and went, yeah, we know what that means. Mm. And it was the most awful smell I've ever smelled. And it stayed with me. I can still smell it now. And flies, hundreds and hundreds of flies. We get into the flat and I go straight, go straight in and there he is. He sat there in this chair, the only thing he owned. And he had, he'd obviously been there for about a month in a very advanced state of decomposition. Um, he had, and again, I'm <laughs> apologies to anyone listening to this who might be eating. Um, just give you a little warning now. Uh, you might want to mute this next few seconds. Guy had basically melted into his chair, mm. and uh, his his face was gone. Just, just, just it wasn't there. It was just maggots, and that sight and that smell. I walked out of that room, and I wanted to be sick. Um, I took a couple of days off uh, after that because I just couldn't, I, I, I couldn't get it out of my mind, and it just played, it played in my mind, and every time I closed my eyes, I saw it. And I just kept thinking, this is, this is not helping people. This is, you know, I, I feel like it's a drop in the ocean. My efforts here are going to waste. It's, it's a drop in the ocean. Um, it's not what I wanted. As what then happened after that was I started to notice it started to change me. It started to change who I was. It started to change how I started to think and how I started to act. So I, I became very un untrusting. I developed a massive mistrust of society in general. Um, started to become very negative in my thought process. Mood swings. Started getting very angry. Um, taking my anger out. And I found myself getting angry with my family. And it wasn't me. So I went to my doctor. They said to me, yep, you, uh, you need to take some time off. We're diagnosing you with, with clinical depression. And severe, an and severe anxiety. So they put me on some medication. I took some time off. That, that, that month turned into three months. Um, and I decided something's got to change. Because this job and this way of life is going to break me. And if it breaks me, it's going to break my family. And I can't have that. My, my, my wife and my children are, are, are my world. And um, so I took some time off and I went back. And if I'm honest, I went back way before I should have. I wasn't ready. And I found myself then at work at one point, just having a full on breakdown. A colleague of mine found me in, in the bathroom, basically curled up in a fetal position, crying for no reason. Nothing triggered it. I just started crying and I, I was uncontrollable. I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. I didn't know what was going on. I just felt this overwhelming urge to run screaming from anybody who tried to talk to me. And my, my boss came up and said, right, you're going home. We're getting a couple of people in, right? They're going to take you home. They're going to drive you back home in your car. I don't want to see you for a while, you know, go get better. So I uh, spoke to a couple of counselors took some um, they put me on some medication and um, it was at that point that I decided after another six months I can't go back I can't let that happen um, it had to either be my family or the job and so I decided right you know what no job's worth this I'm 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 leaving I'm done I've done my time I've seen the things I need to see I'm done um, and, the, and the road to recovery Les was not an easy one yeah it was actually it was a challenge for me and and for my loved ones. My uh, my my wife has been amazing throughout the whole thing. She she knew what I needed, and you know she stuck by me, which is amazing. Um, my kids, bless them, they are the best. You know, so I know like like we said earlier, you know, you're, uh, your own kids are always the best thing ever. But mm. I swear to God, all it all it takes now, Les, is for one smile for my boys, and I'm mm. I'm I'm happy again. But it it taught me the importance of self care. Because what I realized I was doing was I was putting all of my effort into my wife, into my children, and 
into my job, but nothing into me. I stopped training in martial arts completely. I gave up the one thing that I truly identified with, that, that I truly knew was me, you know? And what happened, that realization came about because I was in a therapy session and the counselor said to me, all right, just, just close your eyes. Let's have, a little, let's have a little practice. Close your eyes for me, she said. I want you to picture your happy place. Now, again, this goes back to what you were saying earlier on about a happy place. And she said, well, tell me about it. What are you wearing? And the first thing I said is, I'm wearing my karate gi. Mm -hmm. And I realized that ever since I was young, I mean, I went through some horrific stuff uh, with it. Um, in terms of my, you know, my parents uh, sort of divorced uh, when I was quite young and they did it in a very horrible, messy way. And you know, every divorce is, is a hard, it, it's hard on kids, of course. Mine was nothing special. Like my parents was nothing special, but um, it affected me. I didn't think it affected me at the time, but what I realize now is that it drove me into martial arts and, I, it, mm -hmm. and it drove me to take all that frustration, that anger, that resentment, that, um, that confusion, everything, all those negative feelings or what I perceived as negative feelings, I put into my martial arts and it made me better. It made me the best martial artist I could be at the time. And all I cared about was training. That was my outlet. That was my way of dealing with things. When I was in the dojo, I was 100% switched on. I was 100% focused. You know, that, that's all I cared about. And as a result, outside of the dojo, you know, I could deal with everything. I was happy. I was smiling as long as I had that training. Mm. And in choosing to take this new career path and put everybody else forwards, I had neglected to look after me and I dropped the one thing that meant the world to me. I mean, obviously my family, but you know, the one thing that meant the world to me and um, yeah, it, it, I realized that I need to get back. I need to get me back. Mm -hmm. I need to get, I need to get the karate Charlie back. <laughs> it's going to yeah, hear, it's going to sound, um, uh, I don't know how to say it in English, but uh, little or insignificant, in insignificant. Mm -hmm. Um, but I know what you mean about self-care because when we had Max, I was so focused on providing everything for him in terms of taking care, food and yeah. stuff that I wouldn't eat because yes. he yes. needs to eat. I, I can eat later. Later never came because there was something else to do. And I started feeling so tired and like you said, stressed with, with him because he wants to play. I'm too tired to play. That I, I suddenly realized that you know I lost a lot of weight. I'm overtired. Mm -hmm. Um, and actually, as well, good, wonderful wife tells you, you know, you need to start taking care of yourself. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but she was doing the exactly same thing. So we've been preaching to each other, but doing of completely course. opposite. <laughs> yeah. So, but, yeah, I, I understand since I, you know, changed the, yeah, he's, he's important. Mm. But if I won't be there, he's yeah. not going to be um, helped. So you have to look after yourself, yourself. And then, yeah. Completely. So how, how you... How do you think the, the martial arts impacted your mental health? Uh, let's do two reference points. So you said the, the um, mm -hmm. divorce, that's, that's martial arts took you to be best martial artist mm -hmm. and, and help you in recovery, am I, am I right? Yeah, um, yeah. And how now the martial arts impacting your mental health after therapy? Sure. Pe people sometimes um, mistake in what I do because I'm focusing on mental health and people thinking it's a therapy um, and karate is not a therapy, but it's a great tool accompanying uh, yeah. a therapy. So, you know, I'm not a doctor. I cannot um, help people as a therapy, but I can support mm. the therapy with the move movement and what? all the stuff. It's, it's also what, you know, as Ian jokes about as impact therapy, mm. <laughs> it definitely is. It makes you smile. Yeah. Um, so when I was younger, my parents went through a rather nasty divorce and they didn't deal with it the best way. Um, I, you know, when emotions are involved and when, you know, when that kind of thing is going on, obviously nobody deals with it perfectly, but mine dealt with it in a very, very bad way. And I, it was a long drawn out affair that put my brother, my younger brother and I right in the middle and they, and they almost used us as bargaining chips and weapons, mm. you know, which I, you know, I know that they didn't mean to do, and I completely forgive them now. You know, we've, we've been through a whole lengthy process, you know. Um, but for me, I dealt with it 
definitely to my to my brother. I'm, I'm not going to speak massively for him. You know, he went through some, a, a hell of a lot of uh, mental trauma over the whole thing, and you know, repressed a lot. Me, I realized that I pushed a lot of it down, and I, I, anytime I didn't know what was going on, I went to train. Anytime I was angry, I went to train. Anytime I was frustrated, confused, scared, I went to train. That's all I did. It's all I cared about. And I put all my attention and all my focus on that. Um, you know, other kids my age, you know, sort of uh, like teenagers my age, you know, 15, 16, 17 year olds, you know, they were focused on going out and, you know, meeting girls and, you know, drinking and, you know, we're, we're trying to, you know, so where we can get served at 16. <laughs> you know, but so we're going out and partying and having a good time. As much as I wanted to do that, for me, it just wasn't, it wasn't me when my friends were on a Friday night, you know, we're out, you know, sort of trying to get uh, um, into the local pub and not get ID'd. I was at the dojo on Friday night hmm. and, you know, I didn't join them afterwards because Saturday morning was training, you know, and, 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 and sun, and I didn't go out Saturday night because I knew that Sunday morning, my, you know, Steve, my training partner, you know, he would, you know, sort of be outside my house at 6am in his van, you know, throwing stones at my window going, come on, wake up, you know, sun's coming up, let's go running. <laughs> You know, you know, he, like his idea was, I'm, was I'm going to turn you into Rocky Balboa. You know, you're going to be in, you're going to be unstoppable. You know, you're like, you're, <laughs> so yeah, I, I didn't have interest in going out drinking. And because of that, my social life became the dojo. Mm. My friends were from the dojo. But an interesting thing with it as well is because I mentioned earlier about this whole kind of weird personality shift. One of the things I had and one of the negative impacts on the separation of my parents was that I had, I mean, I was always, I was always a very quiet child, but I had a really serious stutter and speech impediment. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't guess if you told me. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, nobody seems to, uh, seems to know that now, which is good. It only ever comes out in times of extreme stress now, but um, yeah. I had a serious stutter I mean, to the point when Les, I couldn't even pick up the phone. So, you know, I was terrified. The phone would ring. I couldn't get the word hello out. My brain would think of it. I'd pick up the phone. I'd, you know, hold it to my ear. And there was a block. The words would not come out. And, you know, I'd then hang the phone up, you know, quickly and hide. You know, I couldn't speak to anybody. I couldn't. I, I certainly couldn't talk to anybody that wasn't my friends. And in the dojo, I remember some some friends of mine, you know, when I was like 16, I think it was, joked that I was like uh, like a young Hugh Grant, you know, overly polite, um, afraid of offending anybody and constantly stuttering my way through life. You know, I took it as a compliment. I thought that, well, you know, Hugh Grant's handsome. I'll take that. <laughs> but, um, the weirdest thing happened was when I think I was about 18, maybe 19. And... I decided that what I wanted to do was I wanted to explore the physical training side of, of martial arts. Like, you know, I will learn to teach martial arts once I've got more experience. Once I'm older, I, you know, I wasn't kidding myself at 19. I was old enough. I was, I was mature enough in my martial journey to, to, um, to teach. But a friend of mine started training to become a personal trainer and he was telling me about it. And, you know, Okay, I'm not proud of this. If I'm honest, the the uh, his him, his sales pitch consisted of, Chaz, it's brilliant, girls everywhere, all wearing lycra, you'll love it. <laughs> so you know, at 19, you know, I'm a young man, and that's all I cared about, right? So I thought, well, you know, I can't really talk to girls much out here, but maybe, maybe if I become a personal trainer, girls will talk to me. It'll be great. So, um, I signed up and started the course and um i was okay one-to-one -one. i realized that what i could do is i had the confidence to deliver one-to-one -one. and then we had a module coming up for group exercise training and i thought shit you know tomorrow or like you know sort of uh, like a few days uh, down the line i've got to go in and stand in front of a group of 30 people and i couldn't do that i could barely answer the phone you know this shy quiet lad was was now gonna have to command a room and i was petrified so I remember speaking to a friend of mine on um, on online. I can't remember what it was. It might have been MySpace at the time, you know, way before Facebook, I think it was. <laughs> and, you know, he was like an acting drama student. And he said to me, Charlie, he said, you're acting. When you go out there to teach a class, you're acting. You know, I get nervous on stage, but I step into the shoes of somebody else. I, I create the personality that I want to 
want to feel that I want to be. And, you know, I let that personality speak. I don't speak. This character speaks. So we, so, you know, we got chatted about that and I thought, oh, this could work. So I remember, you know, that night I sat there and I, and I created this character, this confident, outgoing, you know, well-spoken character who could stand in front of a room and command it, you know, could bellow at the top of his voice, the back of a room and be heard. And the weird thing is it worked. I remember my instructor coming up to me that day. So my tutor coming up to me that day and kind of going, Charlie, you're, you're like a whole new person. The thing is, Les, I just forgot to switch that person off. Good, good for you. <laughs> I basically became that person. And, you know, now stick me in front of 60 people and ask me to, well, you know, so my days of teaching, you know, group exercise, you know, sort of put me in Lycra, stick me in front of 60 people, put on some cheesy, cheesy camp music and ask me to dance and sing around while I, you know, with a head mic on. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, I remember when I met you, uh, my first thought was, um, what a nice and polite polite guy really nice to con oh. conversate and you actually you and i know a few few lads from uh, matt jardine yeah but you you're the only one who kind of stuck that i remember oh thank uh, you Liz. except except chris wilder well yeah but i, I still, still feel him in my chest punching me oh god i know i nearly broke my hand i remember you know when he stood there and asked you know he was demonstrating his um sanchin iron mm. shirt technique pulled me up and said punch me and I did, and and he said, "No, really, like you know, hard as you like." I thought my hand was going to crumble. I pictured this cartoon of you know me punching and just this slow motion crackling down my hand as it falls into dust. Incredible. Yeah, well, that was a really good seminar. Mm. Um, that's a great seminar. Yes, yeah, but so uh, no, that's some kind words. Thank you, Les. So, so, so now um, mm. you are recovering. How much? What the role martial arts playing in? Um, what it was for me was I was the moment, the key point in the recovery was realizing that my happy place was, was in my gi. I realized that I identified when I thought about myself, I didn't see myself as, you know, a social worker. I didn't see myself as a father, as a husband. I didn't see myself as anything else other than a martial artist first, mm. which is weird to say, you know, sort of like, cause you always think, you know, the father role takes priority and everything. I'm, of course, of course it does. But deep down, it was always martial arts came first for everything. Yeah. And I pictured myself in that gi. And that for me was the moment of, I need to get back to training. I really do. And I was off work at the time. My kids were in, um, I think they were in, in nursery uh, a couple of days a week. And my wife was working part-time a couple of days a week as well. Uh, so I'd have at least three days where... You know, I'd pack them all into a car, wave, you know, wave goodbye, and they'd all drive off for like half seven in the morning. And from half seven till they came home at like five o'clock, the house was empty. It was just me. And I just started training. But the key thing that I did was was I needed to get back into the mindset. So, you know, what I did was I got some mats out. I cleared all the furniture to one side and I put my gi on. You know, I did my belt up. It's just, it's, it's, it's just me at home. I could have trained in shorts and T-shirt. It didn't matter. But to me, it mattered. You know, I didn't feel like me until I put that gi back on. Mm. Slowly, my confidence started to grow. And um, I also started and ended every session with meditation and breathing exercises. Um, and for me, that was key. Absolutely key. That was, that was, okay, all the problems are going now. I'm now switching mindset. I've focused 100% on the goal ahead, which is going to be my training. And then at the end, I'd I'd repeat the exercise, that breathing exercise, and I'd repeat that meditation. And it was what I found was that it was almost like I could think clearly for the rest of the day after that. Awesome. I mean, I I try to explain it to to to, to friends, you know, who don't who've never experienced it before. And I say the difference before and after these breathing exercises and this meditation at the start and the end of my training session, that sandwich my training session nicely. It's like trying to walk into your office and seeing paperwork everywhere, seeing your drawers pulled out, your, your mouse is somewhere else, your phone charger somewhere else, you know, everything's a mess and you're trying to make sense of it. But just doing those 
that 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 breath work and that meditation work it's almost like i close my eyes i reopen them and everything is filed everything is where it should be that desk is clear and it's like oh wow the task i now need to do the task in front of me whatever that is whether it's i need to cook a meal i need to go to the shops i need to find something to keep my kids entertained for the next hour you know whatever it is i can focus on it with no distraction there's nothing else going on and that that martial arts training gave me that confidence back it gave me the focus on who i wanted to be it made me feel like myself in my own skin again mm. and the meditation exercises cleared my mind and it allowed my mind space to work mm. i can really i can totally relate to the uh, wearing a gi because when i put my gi maybe not not so now but uh, mm during the kind of end of my anxiety and moving to the country here and it's totally different person you just put that armor yeah and you're ready i like how you call it your armor absolutely mm -hmm. you put that on and you feel something else you know yeah, you're, you're, I... for me it's you're an instructor you know you need to be like you, you said you're your your teacher you're teaching yeah. face you are that actor playing that game and stuff there you go and, and, And I relate to meditation as well because I started meditation a few years ago and it helps a lot. But you're doing the Wim Hof method, do you? Yeah, I mean, I came, I was recommended the Wim Hof method. And um, funnily enough, it actually came about because of a conversation with Chris Wilder. I remember him mentioning about it on one of his pod, his martial arts pod, sorry, pardon me, his martial arts podcast a ages ago. And Chris and I have had a few email exchanges back and forth. And I remember mentioning to him about, because um, I emailed him when I was going, undergoing some, some of my anxiety issues. And um, I mentioned some of the stuff that was going on. And um, he, he took the time to, to contact me. And we had a chat about it, uh, this, uh, this uh, email exchange back and forth. And, and he mentioned the Wim Hof method. He said, look, just try it. He said, I've been doing it. It works for me. So I thought, oh, yeah, why not? Let's give it a go. Now, you know, I'm not a massive, I'm not a complete devotee, as it were, because I know that some people get very into this kind of stuff, and it almost becomes cultish. I'm, I don't see that. For me, I see the three tools, which is the breath work, the cold exposure, and the, the, uh, the commitment and the focus as, um, have been the three pillars that just kind of hold up my mental health now. Oh, there. I don't know if you can see it. I can see that. Yeah, becoming just, just just started reading it. <laughs> it's a great it, it's a great book. I've got it. I've got uh, you know my my library behind me there. You know lots lots of his books on there. And um, what, what? Sorry to butt in into you, sure. but you said about the cold exposure. I, I can't do it. I tried three what? four times over the years. Tell me about those uh, those attempts. What did you do? So I done the 30 seconds in a, in a in a cold shower. Mm -hmm. uh, for about a week, two weeks, and then I kind of got, I forget about it. You know, you I need to go, you, you need to go quickly, get that because children want something and it's just, yeah, yeah. Not, no time. I'm sure it's excuse as, as <laughs> per usually. It just, you know. Oh, no, I know that it, one. The showers, you know, so you're in the shower and all of a sudden, Daddy, need a poo. Yeah. Oh, for God's sake, you know. <laughs> it is, it is just, um, I don't know, it seems to be the week. I'm motivated and I lose motivation into that particular thing. Yeah, I, I see that. I, I, I started with it with just simply having a nice warm shower as I normally do. And then at the end, turn it all the way to the coldest setting and just grit your teeth and stand there. Yeah, 10 seconds, 10, 15 seconds. And that was it. And just, you know, every, every day, repeat that and gradually increase it. Now, you know, I can jump in, do a five-minute cold shower, ice-cold shower in the morning, no problem. And the weird thing is, I look forward to it. I, I really do. <laughs> I, I don't feel like, as, you know, as Wim Hof, you know, as he likes to say, when you're in that cold, you can't, like your mind just focuses 100% in the exact present moment. You don't think about anything else mostly because you're constantly thinking oh shit i'm freezing uh, but, um for me i found it was just the weirdest thing it just started to wake me up every day i mean of course it would it's ice cold water but 
it just started to allow my mind to focus. And what I would do is every morning before I'd get out of bed, I'd do three rounds of the breathing. And then I'll just lay there for a good five, 10 minutes. And you feel this state of bliss is the best way to describe it. Hmm. This complete. I, have, I haven't peace. done this breathing method. That's why I'm reading the book to, yeah. to add that. Maybe that's going to help. But the breathing method, whether it works like he claims it does, whether you know it changes the, uh, the, the biochemistry like he claims it does, I'll be honest with you, I don't care, Les, if it works hmm. or not. What works for me is... After the three rounds and I'm just there, I'm 100% there in that moment. No other thoughts come. I'm aware of other thoughts and it's almost like I can see them on the periphery just appearing and then just vanish. And I feel happy and I just, my, my mind is completely calm. And like I said, it's like sweeping that desk clean, you know, after that jump straight into a shower. Um, and while I'm in there, I don't, I'm, I'm in that blissful state that when the ice hits me, I relax, completely relax. I don't tense up. I don't get that flinch response anymore. I just completely relax. And it, it almost laser focuses my attention for the day. Yeah, I was watching the, um, what was it? You know, the two brothers, doctors in TV? Uh, the twin, 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 twin brothers, doctors. I'll be honest with you, no, I don't watch a great deal of telly unless it's on, so, unless it was, it's on Netflix. It was a couple, couple, couple of years ago, um, they done a, a treatments for testing treatments for and depression and anxiety. Yeah. And one of the best one was uh, swimming in cold um, lake. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, what I found, the weird thing is, okay, here's the weird thing. Um, I was asthmatic. And technically, I'm, I, you know, I think I'm still classed as that um, as, as asthmatic by the doctor. But I mean, but since I started doing the the breathing method and the ice cold exposure, I haven't used my asthma pump once. Mm. I've not needed to. I've not felt short of breath. I, you know, my lungs feel stronger. I just don't. I don't need it anymore. You know, whether that's a coincidence, whether I'm seeing, you know, as a, a correlation there when it doesn't really, you know, work. I don't know, but for me the benefits have been huge i've just felt so happy and it's had such a knock-on effect with how i handle and manage the anxiety and the depression from day to day mm. so how, how how do you manage to feed all the all that with the day with the kids are you doing it when the kids going to school <laughs> or uh, not not easily let's put it that way not <laughs> easily um the time when i i was off and i signed off from forever work and for the best part nearly a year i think and um so I had a lot of time to, you know, to focus. Um, now, now that I'm back at work, uh, the kids are at school. I'm very lucky that I've got a desk bound work job with a very understanding boss who, um, you know, um, he's absolutely awesome. And the team I work with are awesome. And, you know, his idea is, is you're paid enough to do a job. We're not, you know, I don't care if you're here nine to five. I care that the task are done as long as you as long as you do your job i don't care you manage your own time so quite often what i'll do is i'll sign in at you know sort of nine o'clock in the morning i'll check my emails i'll do um, a few little bits and then about 10 o'clock you know i'll um i'll shut my laptop down and i'll just go lay down on the bed and i'll just take you know 10 20 minutes just to meditate mm. just breathe and focus breathe and focus and then i can come back and Usually I'm back in time for Popmaster on Radio 2, which is always good fun, <laughs> you know, and, then carry, and then carry on working. So I find, I, I find time to fit it in. I just, I, I just make, I, I carve out that little bit, 10, 15 minutes every day. I, I'm going to have to, um, because the, the, my two are different age, so yeah. different needs and different times. And um, of course, I'm, Anna's working from home at the moment. So it's like, you know, when the Thursday, Friday hits and they are in the nursery, then I can do more stuff, but then I have to do my work as well. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's again, excuses. Um... <laughs> no, it's really hard, isn't it, to balance, you know, the kind of work home life. Like when you're working from home, you've got young kids. My God, it's hard. Mm. And it's easy to say, you know, oh, I start when I go to school. I start when I go to school. <laughs> yeah, well, that's just it. Like, yeah. Like you see them going to school as a way of, you know, that's the benchmark. If I can get them to that age, they go off to school, I get more, more me time. 
But the honest truth is, Les, something comes along and takes up that me time. And then, you know, you're just looking for the next goal. You're looking for the, well, when they do this, then I can go, you know, it's always the next thing. Yeah, I noticed that with age, I'm getting more procrastinating. It's like, you know, I know I need to cut sugar because I'm eating stupid amounts of chocolate. (laughs) And I know it makes me feel worse than I meant to be. And I That's your vice, isn't it? Chocolate is your vice, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, I have no problem. I I don't use sugar at all. I don't drink mm-hmm. caffeinated coffee. I'll dick off. Oh, I do. Cho- but chocolate, it's just like, I'm so weak. I just feel weak. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I get that. Hey, you know what? We all need our little vices to get us through. We all need our little things to make life that bit more pleasurable. And, you know, yeah, chocolates. Chocolate's awesome. You know, for me, not, it's caffeine. Not, <laughs> I've got to have but, my coffee. But not when the wife's by a... Uh big pot of nutella for children and then you're fighting yourself with a spoon <laughs> oh no i don't <laughs> go that far. oh no not that far. there's nothing not... left for children i need to go and buy one <laughs> not that far. oh i'll tell you what we did um uh, we found the uh, biscoff spread you know like the lotus biscoff spread <laughs> oh oh same sort of thing put a spoon in that man that's heaven sorry i shouldn't be giving you ideas here <laughs> So yeah, so so the math Winfield may have uh, yeah. Winhoff method Winhoff, is yeah. the, is the one one on my um, list and uh, dropping the chocolate completely. It it's weird the Winhoff method. It for me, it's a it's an introduction to meditation. It's a great launch pad to and and what it did for me was it opened the doors. You know, mm-hmm. it opened the doors that um, like to allow me to the space to see what needed to be done, the work that needed to be done. Mm. that's the best way to describe it how, how do you meditate because i'm finding two two schools of meditation one it's uh drive me nuts so i'm trying to which anna my wife's do, doing it successfully yeah uh, laying down and try to not think about anything mm-hmm. it just drives me nuts my brain yeah. gets fried and <laughs> then the other one is just focusing on something which i want to think about and and or let the thoughts coming through and, and out which one are you using? Yeah, the second one, Les. Um, for me, it's the it's the f- small focal point. Mm. Just find a small focal point, something, and you just focus entirely on that. You're aware of thoughts. You're not trying to stop them. You're not trying to block thoughts as they come in. You let them happen. You let the thoughts occur. And what and what I try and do is, you know, you look at them as an objective third party you just see the thoughts and okay that's a thought there there it goes and it's gone you know mm. i don't engage like you don't engage with it you just you watch it come in you don't engage with it you let it go you know the thoughts are like the nutter on the bus you know you don't engage just <laughs> let it come in and let it go and one of the things that i find is that it, it takes a great deal of practice it's mindfulness ultimately because mm you become aware of how your brain starts to work and you become aware of how, how distracted you can get. And once you start to become aware of the thoughts, you then start to realize I don't have to engage with them. Hmm. And that seeps through for me into the, into my daily life is I can be doing something and, you know, whereas previously I'd have like a train of thought that would send me off and, Oh shit, now I need to go do this and I need to do that. And the original task is, meanwhile over there long forgotten and i've gone down the rabbit hole of you know i've i i you know yes i've finished doing doing this uh, doing this bit of diy once i have reorganized my dvd collection once i've realphabetized my library over there been to germany and back and thought about a thousand other things you know now it's more like okay there's there's a thought i deal with that another time it's not important. It's not. It's not the task. Um, so after the pandemic, what's your plan? You're gonna be going back to teaching children, or you're going for self protection? I, I don't know. Um, the thing is, I'm very lucky. I'm very blessed that I've got a. I'm. I've got a very nice job now where I'm. I don't feel like I need to teach to earn money now and that's mm. you know that's that for me it, i'm aware of what a, a very privileged a very privileged position that is right, to be able to say that um but when i teach now i want to teach for what i for what, what i love and 
I want to teach the way that I want to do things. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, some instructors will tell you differently. Of course they will. Some instructors will make great success. So again, like, you know, sort of, uh, like we referenced Mike Turbot earlier on, makes fantastic success teaching what he loves and he does it full-time as a business and he does it brilliantly. There are so many instructors out there who can do that. I know I'm not one of them. If I'm focused on paying the bills, if I'm focused on trying to retain students and I'm focused on running on my club like a business, I'm not going to be happy. I'm not going to be able to focus on the thing that I really want to do. You know, because I've got other things like so right now I've got a young family I've got to look after. I can't be focusing, you know, outside. I can't be focusing on work, my family and then running a side business. Mm. Yeah, maybe when the kids, you know, are much older and, you know, like 18, they're out of the house, you know, maybe then. But I want to teach for the passion. I want to teach the thing that I want to teach right now. Ultimately, what I want, Les, is I want to have a club that I would want to go to. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd want to have a place yeah. with some like-minded people, some like-minded students that I can go along and kind of go, okay, guys, here's the plan tonight. Grab a body. Let's play. You know, that's awesome. Show me how you did that. That's, that's brilliant. Let's learn from each other. You know, that's what I want. I don't want to run it like a business. I think in time I will, but, but personally for me, that's my plan. Just open a small club and teach what I want to teach. Excellent. Okay. It was a pleasure talking to you. And you too, Les, it's been wonderful. Very insightful. And um, I hope you will fully recover. And uh, (laughs) so we're going to see you with the club running and we can come and cross train. Absolutely, my friend. Very much looking forward to it.